Good afternoon. We continue this four sermon series. We are in, in series number what? Do you remember? Three. Very good. And today we talk about strengthening relationships. You know, we talk about schedules first, and then we talked about work and finances second. And today we talk about relationships. And we know schedules and work and finances, they are significant drivers in your life. Uh, you will agree, right? They, 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 they make you do certain things. Uh, but you will also agree you have not already given up on people that relationships oftentimes require a lot more heavy lifting than schedules and work and finances. In fact, I want to suggest to you that relationships are sometimes the prime movers behind how we spend our time, how hard we work, and how we manage our finances. I know a lot of parents' uh, schedule is dictated by the timetable of their kids. Uh, some of us actually may not work so crazily if there is no one to prove a point to. Some of us may not spend the way we do if there was no one to show off our possessions to or if we were not planning for a better life for our children. I have a colleague who has adult asthma and until he told me he had it, I always in my ignorance thought that asthma was something you have as a kid. Now, he did not have asthma as a kid. In fact, he was a school swimmer, so he had great lungs as a kid. But he believes he got his adult asthma when he contracted pneumonia, when he was studying in the US for university. And what happened was, uh, it was his girlfriend's 21st birthday, and he wanted to get her 21 roses. And it was winter. And he underestimated both the cold outside, and he underestimated the distance to the florist. So with a thin sweater, he ran out, he got the roses, he also got pneumonia. <laughs> okay, I didn't expect that. Uh, relationships, they sometimes can literally take our breath away. You will agree. So if we want to simplify, if we want to be singular in our pursuit of God's kingdom, we can't avoid talking about relationships. It is one of the elephants in the room. Because relationships done right, you know, can exhilarate, it can encourage, it can edify. But relationships also entangle, relationships distract, relationships can sometimes really mess us up big time. Now, why are relationships important? Some of us may think that relationships sometimes are just not worth the time. Some of us have given up on people. But if you read the Bible from the beginning to the end, as objectively as you can, it will be quite difficult to miss the restorative agenda of God. God is a restoring God. God restored us for what? God restored us to relate to us. God commits to relationship and He actually has heavily invested in it. You know that, right? God demonstrates His love for us in that while He was yet sinners, Christ not paid 20 cents for us, you know. Christ died for us. It is a heavy investment. That has always been God's plan, God's aim, God's agenda. And that, that's the that, that investment that God puts into us. But Matthew 18, 5, you can go back and read and you'll be in your Bible study. And Matthew 5, 23, 24 are what I call restorative verses. If you are worshipping and you know that your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, uh, quickly go and fix it, right? Those are restorative verses that you will read in Matthew. God, God feels that it's a big deal. You worship halfway, get out. Go and, go and fix the thing with your brother. It's that important. Reconciliation is a big deal to God. Um, in the finance industry, we say follow the smart money, right? Where the, where the smart investors are putting their money, you put your money. And God puts His money in relationships. So relationships must be important because... That's where the smart money is. Now, how did Jesus conduct his relationships? You know, there's an incident when Jesus was doing his, his preaching and then he was told his mother and brothers were looking for him. In Matthew 12, it says this. And his reply was uh, uh, quite interesting. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my brother, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God 
of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So I want to suggest to you that Jesus conducts his relationships like that. The basis for Jesus' relationship is God. The criteria Jesus uses to measure intimacy uh, or whether to admit you into his inner circle uh, is the question, does God feature big in your life? That's what he means by this. That if God features big in your life, if God matters to you, then you are my family. I relate to you. Uh, another example you may be familiar with, this is a negative example. Somebody came to him and uh, Jesus said, follow me. And this young man said, let me just tend to my father until he dies and then I bury him, then I follow you. And Jesus actually was, was to some people pretty blunt and pretty straightforward that let the dead bury the dead, you follow me. So it, it is quite clear that Jesus, for Jesus, God takes preeminence over all relationships. It is, just, it is also very simple that if you are an acquaintance of mine, comparative, uh, compared to my relationship with my, my wife, then obviously the relationship with my wife will drive a lot of how I relate to you. Because obviously if my wife has an emergency and you want to go for coffee, uh, I'll go for the emergency. If my wife has an emergency and you have an emergency, I will go for her emergency. You get what I mean? It, it, it's, that, it's like that with God as well. That... For Jesus, all relationships are subordinate to God. Why do, I, why do I raise this point? Because some of us are driven by our relationships. I read this thing in, 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 on the internet recently. Uh, a, a poor girl who got, I think, two Bs and all straight As, O-levels, uh, jumped to her death. Uh, I suppose she's 16, which is my daughter's age. Uh, why did she jump to her death? Two Bs and straight A's has always been my dream. I never got it. But she jumped to her death because she was driven by a pressurizing mother who unfortunately also killed herself uh, later on. Uh, that that straight, only straight A's will do. Only med school will do. So it is, it is very important for us to ask ourselves today, are we ordered, are we ordered by our relationships or does God order our relationships? You get what I mean? Right? Because there, there will be those relationships, the sneaky ones, the slimy ones, that will try to come and get us and will want us to order our lives around them. So, so hopefully that sets the stage for what we're going to talk about, how we're going to strengthen our relationships. Relationships are, relationships are important. God thinks they are a big deal. So we should as well because we follow the smart money. Relationships must also be ordered under God. So what do we need for strong relationships? I have three F's today. And the first F is forgive. You know, a brother offended, the Bible tells us, is harder to win than a strong city. We know that, right? Sometime back, we did this series called The Bait of Satan. And it's about offense. And how this pastor says the, 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 the consistent the, the most used trap that Satan loves to employ in the church of God is this thing called offense. When you're offended by a brother or by a sister because it's so perfect, it is so wonderful to divide and to conquer. To disable, turn off the, the unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17. And it's true, you know, right? When you're offended, it disables you from relating. We look inward we build up walls to protect ourselves from further hurt. We isolate, we withdraw. That's offense. Many years back when I was just married, mm, there was some incident between my wife and I that got me upset. Actually, I just realized I forgot to ask her for permission, but anyway. Uh, it's, it's a very small thing. <laughs> it was upset. I was upset enough to complain to my brother-in-law, Jeffrey, in church. Because I saw him walking around on Sunday. And after my, hearing my complaint, my brother-in-law said, he, he said, seriously? Now, he did not mean that the issue was serious. Quite the contrary, he was asking if such a small issue seriously bothered me. Now, that got me even more upset. But you know, later on as I processed... Uh, Thankfully, good sense prevailed 
And I found that indeed the issue was so insignificant that today, even as I related to you, I cannot even recall what the issue was. Uh, I can only issue. I can only remember I was very offended. Um, but I can't recall what the issue was. And and and, and that's that. Sometimes what I call, or, or Bill Hybels calls it, category one offense. What does that mean? There will be that kind of offense, the not so serious kind of offense. What's the antidote? Just have a thicker skin, right? Just don't be so sensitive. Overlook and move on. Let it go. That's on the receiving end. This kind of there, there will be that kind of offenses that are like they are irritating. A lot of us have the gift of irritation, right? Uh, and and they're irritating, but really, it's it's skin and and you let it go. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we are not on the receiving end. We are at the giving. We are we are the giver of of these sorts of stupid things, and we need to be aware. And later on, we'll talk a, a bit more about it. There are some insecurities in people that you must respect. You not you don't love those insecurities, but you must respect that people around you may have insecurities and much as those things may not seem serious to you, uh, it may offend them greatly because these are things that may not look rational to, uh, may look irrational to you, but it's an insecurity that they struggle with. You know, I I saw an older brother and I expected a lot more from this older brother. He was mature and all that sort of thing. And uh, we we were in the washroom once and there was this young man he was washing his face. Uh, and in the name of joking only, which is one of, those, one of the silliest reasons you can ever find, uh, joking only, he pat the younger brother on the shoulder when he was washing his face and said, uh, no need to wash, like, it's not going to help much. <laughs> now, on- honestly, I find that uh, quite foolish and unwise, especially coming from someone I expect a lot more. Uh, let's set a golden rule. I set a golden rule for myself. Sometimes I break it, but I'm human, right? But um, the rule I have is when it comes to jokes, uh, it should not be at the expense of anyone else except myself. Must be like that, right? So Because I know my own insecurities, so I won't joke about stupid things that I cannot handle. But you joke about somebody's hairstyle, you joke about somebody's weight, you joke about somebody's dressing, you don't know. You don't know how it affects the insecurities of the person. So don't go there. Heed my mother's advice. She always told me, We sang. My, my name is, my direct name is We sang. If you don't open your mouth, no one will say you are dumb. Okay, so sometimes just close your mouth. But, so that's the easy one. There could be more serious offenses, right? We all know that. There could be betrayals, those are a big deal. Uh, grave injustices, deep hurts. For those, it cannot be just about having thick skin. Cannot be. And letting it go. It is very insensitive to tell people, just let it go. That, that, you cannot just let go. It, 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 is, it is a lot more than that. And, and we just want to illustrate it with, with a character in the Bible, uh, Joseph. Joseph is a familiar one, right, I think? Joseph in the Bible. You know, he was betrayed by his own brothers who said this, Come, let us kill him and cast him into some pit we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now, what could be more nightmarish than this? Your own family members want to kill you so that they destroy your dreams. Scary, right? How bad can it be? They were out to destroy. This is not some accident. This is not some drunk driver who knocked him over or whatever. This is deliberate. They want to get him. They wanted him to fail and not succeed. Now, when, when they did that, I want to just ask you, what do you think God in heaven uh, thought about? Do you, do you think God in heaven said, oh, sharks? He looked at Jesus and the Holy Spirit and said, what are we going to do now? Look at what his Joker brothers have done. They've ruined our plan for Joe. We better think of something quick. Do we have plan B? You know, we may think of sometimes God like that. It's absurd, but sometimes we think of God like that. Somebody loses a job and, and we think that God tells Jesus, Jesus, Jim just lost his job. Uh, you got any position for him? Our God is never taken by surprise. That's something I learned recently. That God, kept, God kept reminding me. God is never caught unaware. He doesn't panic. Psalms 2 says, 
the nations, why do the nations conspire? Why do they even waste their time? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The one enthroned in heaven, that's God, laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He's, he's, he's not taken by surprise. Not even by these wicked brothers. And when Joseph looked, up, looked back at his life, this is what he said. So then it was not you, bros. It was not you. You thought it was you? It's not you. It was God. And if you don't believe Joseph, you think that he's, he's, he's delusional or something. A psalm says this when they relate the story of Joseph. God sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. So I want you to remember this today. No mortal man, no devil can supersede the plan of God for your life. If you lay hold of this truth, it will set you free. They can't disrupt God's plan for your life. Period. Now, I don't want to be flippant about this, that deep offences can be just easily dealt with and all that, and I apologise if it appears that way. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that deep offences, they take time. But I, I want to encourage you with the example of Joseph that God's plan for you has not been superseded by that betrayal. God's plan for you has not been superseded by that offence, that injustice. God is not panicking over that accident or that horrible thing that happened to you or your loved ones. The story hasn't ended and God assures us it ends well. That's why Jesus could say on the cross when all these bar, all these all this murderers people were around him, he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he knows Father God is still in charge. Now for some of us, it may be a long route to ultimately forgiving the offence and the offender. Sometimes to us, the offender is God. Right? God was not just to us. God let this bad thing happen. It can be. But I want to encourage you to start resolving today at least to begin the journey. Begin the journey. I'm not asking you to uh, get it over with. Some of these healings take time. But resolve to begin that journey. Because holding on to grudges, holding on to anger, somebody said, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You drink poison, you die. The other person, the offender doesn't die. Don't be deceived. So forgive so the walls can come down. Harbour bitterness, we cannot grow. Okay, so that's the first F. Forgive. What's the second F? The second F is fear not. Forgiveness can break down the walls of bitterness, the grudges, the offence. There's another wall we are familiar with that we erect to protect ourselves. And that's the wall of fear and insecurity. You know, when I was in secondary three, I don't know whether I shared with <coughs> some or all of you. When I was in secondary three, I was doing well. Doing okay in my studies. Um, but one day, near to the exam, I think it was, um, it was August or something, No, September. When a friend called me to ask me some chemistry question, uh, and I could not answer him, I just had this massive panic attack that landed me in a psychiatric ward. Uh, it was totally illogical. I was so afraid, I just freaked out that I'm going to fail all my exams because of that stupid chemistry question that I avoided all people, I clung to my mom. I remember it's September, uh, it's September because I clung to my mom everywhere she went and, and my mom makes mooncakes for, for, for a living that time. And uh, uh, I was just following her to Chinatown to buy all the kind of mooncake fillings and all that. Mm. And then I was given special permission because they saw how distraught I was uh, to skip my Sec 3 exams. Now to most of you, you must be thinking, you must be crazy, right? It was an irrational fear. 
I don't care whether it's irrational or not. It was downright real. The fear of failure. I cannot explain it. It was crippling. It made me weak. It made me withdraw. There is good fear. Don't get me wrong. There's good fear. Fear that keeps us out of trouble. Right? Good fear. But there's also destructive fear. Fear that handicaps us. It cripples us. This, the one I had, was destructive fear. Another guy had destructive fear. He's got King Saul. You know, King Saul is, is a guy who, through a series of mistakes in his own life, like us, uh, began to wander away from God. And, and he was so twisted up inside that he lived with this strong sense of foreboding and insecurity. You know, the insecurity led him to pursue one of his most loyal soldiers. One of his most loyal soldiers was a guy called David. He pursued him for 14 years. Right? 14 years. He nearly killed his son Jonathan when he threw a spear at him for speaking up for David. When he found out that the priests were nice to David, he slaughtered 85 of the Lord's priests. He didn't stop there. He went to their families and he annihilated all their children, their cattle, their wives. This is King Saul. It is a tragic record of what insecurity and destructive fear can do to a man and those around him. You know, Saul's troubles started when he was told by the prophet Samuel that the kingdom will go to someone else. That, sorry, because of disobedience, God is passing the kingdom on. Now, have you ever wondered how the story would be different if he repented? Because going to read Kings, there are wicked kings who repent. It's not that there's no such thing. There are more wicked kings who have repented. Now, if Saul had repented, can you imagine if Saul had then mentored David and nurtured him to be the next king? If only Saul realized there is a lot more to life with God besides being a king. You know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Because while faith helps us look far, fear clouds our line of sight. We cannot see. Left unchecked, it breeds distrust of those around us. It increases our sense of desperation. You know, when I succumb to that intense, overwhelming fear, at sec 3, I had well-meaning friends who wanted to visit me and I withdrew and I pushed them all away. Like I told you, I only clung to mum. And I think I gave mum a hard time. Now, when I was excused from my exam, of course, it lifted for a while. I was normal again. I received help from a psychiatrist on and off. But guess what? My, my sec 4 exams came around. Deja vu. The dark clouds gathered again. But praise be to God, somewhere within me, I believe it was the Holy Spirit who taught me to stop looking at my navel in self-pity and face the fear. To grit my teeth and take that stupid exam. And I did. Fear and trembling, I did. And I was liberated. I did okay, la. I won't tell you the results. But since that day, exams have no hold over me anymore. The fear broke. And as far as I can recall, one of the things that really helped me in my journey out of that crippling fear was mom. My mom. You know, she told me, we sang, it doesn't matter academically how you turn out. It really doesn't matter. My love for you, of course she's Asian, she doesn't talk like that, I'm just paraphrasing. I'm with you. I'm with you. I was still her son. Now that settled me quite a bit. That it didn't matter. That there's a bigger picture of being her son. Insecurities are real. Yours could be an insecurity ar arising out of your lack. Either of status. Some of us are very insecure because we don't have that status that people around us have. Some of us are very insecure about our outward appearances. I went through a phase of that, really tough. Uh, why you laugh? <laughs> I went through a period of, or I didn't go through this one. 
a lack of possessions or achievements or a past failure. No, they are real. They cripple you. But they are real, but underpinning them are often lies. These lies spiral us downward into what I call absurd sky drop-down scenarios. We think that the sky will drop down. For King Saul, that huge security led him to picture that worst-case scenario, David becomes king. He's going to slaughter me. He's going to slaughter my son. He's going to slaughter my... He's going to annihilate me. He's going to get me. You know, nothing was further from the truth. Did you know that David repeatedly spared King Saul at least twice? He could have killed him. He didn't. Do you know he loved his son like himself? He said the love of his son is better than the love of women. He loved his son that much. Do you know that after both of them died in battle, he took care of Saul's grandson? And he was quite a liability because his grandson was crippled. So can you imagine the, how disconnected his fears were? It was off, way off. It was lies. Total opposite. Insecurities blind us to the truth, to God's truth. And if you're a child of God, a truth you must know is God gives you shalom. Shalom is more than just simply peace. Jewish words, more power, okay? Hebrew. It is a complete peace. It is spoken with emotion. It has, it has weight. It is a complete peace. It is a feeling of enoughness. Enoughness. Substance. Contentment. Completeness. Wholeness. Well-being. Harmony. And I believe it was the shalom that Jesus received when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was, he was a nervous wreck. He was in deep distress. None of us has been so distressed that you sweat blood. It was that bad. It was terrible distress. When fear and insecurity threatened to blind his line of sight. You know, he prayed the shalom peace, the steadiness in God and God alone the enoughness of God, I believe that's what stabilized him. He came. I believe God whispered to him, it's not the end. And the end ends well. The Word of God tells us that the spirit God gives to you is not the spirit of a coward. It is not timid. It is power. It is love. It is self-control. So you, you need to let these truths permeate your inner being, especially when you're struggling with the sky drop-down scenarios. And they will come. 2 Corinthians 10.5 is a good verse to memorize. Take captive every thought right, unto Jesus. Meditate on them. When the fears come, face the fear knowing in Christ we have shalom. He is the prince of shalom. So forgive, fear not. The last one, very quickly, we need to filter. You know, as we simplify by throwing out baggages of unforgiveness, we throw out destructive fears and insecurities, we ready ourselves for meaningful relationships. So we empty stuff and then we are ready. It's a bit like Chinese New Year. You spring clean, you, you, you throw out all the old newspapers and, and the rubbish and you, you don't just stop there, right? You bring in good things. Bakwa, barbecue pork, uh, uh, what, what, what else do you have? Um, uh, pineapple tart. Uh, some of you buy the what, potted tangerine plants, I think. Uh, red cushions. Uh, the willowy plant, the long, long one. Right? And we fill it with good things so that the house after spring cleaning is not just hospital white, right? It, it's, it's got to have stuff. You fill it with good things. And similarly, when we start spring cleaning internally, we need to heat the advice of Proverbs 12, which unfortunately I didn't put up, but you can go home and look it up. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully. Okay? It's not rocket science, right? The righteous choose their friends carefully. We need to filter because you only have capacity for those few relationships. Trust me. Jesus had 72 and then he had 12, and then he had 3. He is the Son of God. You probably won't be too far from there. So you need to think, how am I going to filter? Because there are tons of people who want to 
get on your agenda and, 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 and be your wonderful friend. The filter is given in Proverbs 6. This type, filter out. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, proud people. A lot of them nowadays. No. Okay? Lying tongue, dishonest people. No. Hands that shed innocent blood. Violent people, people who love violence, out. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Exploiters, always thinking of shortcutting and, and making a quick buck. Forget it. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. The same kind. False witness pours out lies. Gossipers, slanderers, love to talk about other people, slime people. Forget it. And a person who stirs up conflict. Divisive people. Avoid like the plague. Right? Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about your inner circle. We are supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be out there with these people, helping them come to the light. I'm talking about your inner circle. You get it? I'm not saying from now on, stay in this church, stay safe. Don't go out. Okay? Even in this church, trust me, there are these seven kinds. But really, choose wisely. So this one, you know, this type, you go for it. Okay? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I think. Because we know. The Indians tell you, the Chinese tell you, the English tell you. There are so many idioms. You lie down with dogs, you wake up with, please. Right? You rub shoulders, you rub elbows, you become like them. It's, it's, it's old advice. You, you ignore it at your peril. And we have limited capacity for relationships. You better choose well. And I say start first in your families. Cannot just go for friends. Families, spouse, sibling. You must strengthen those relationships. You can doubt about whether God plays you in this church or in your current job or in your school, but you can be dead sure He plays you in your family. You've got no choice. Right? Must be. And leadership criteria in church, when we choose elders, when we choose deacons, the Bible tells us you've got to check is the guy managing his family well or not? Is, is, he, is he doing okay? So that's a big deal. We, we need to fix that family thing because they are the closest to us and they irritate us the most. And we need to strengthen those relationships. And then in our PPH community church, start looking for those relationships in, in, in this church. Make it a priority. Why? You may be thinking, I love my tennis buddy. I love my fishing kaki. Uh, I love my fishing friends. Uh, why? why? Why must I choose these, 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 these terrible people in church? Um, let me tell you why. Because with the limitations you have in space, in time, in, 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 in whatever disposable time you have, the local church is possibly the best place to look for like-minded people. What do you mean by like-minded people? People for whom God and His values and His kingdom feature big. Sure can find one. They're either pretending or, or they're real. I mean, everybody in church feels that God is a big deal, right? Different degrees. But if they're here, there is a good chance that you can find one who is serious about God. You look at Jesus' inner circle, Paul's inner circle. They were not his tennis buddies. They were not his colleagues. They were not even his fellow students. They were the ones who believed the same cause. They were the ones whose hearts were gripped by the same calling to see God's kingdom advance. You must find His kind. Right? Why? Because Jesus said unity is a big deal. I, I won't read it for the sake of time. We are not called as a church to get along. Just happy, happy, the more we get together. I mean, uh, and, and don't tell me too much about your life. We are not, that is not an option. We are called to unite. And I don't know whether you have been united in your life before. When you are united, it takes a lot. Because, why? Because, I, I don't know, I, I cannot understand this, but for God, unity matters a lot. Two or three agree, I agree. Two or three gather, I'm there. Why? I don't know. It's God's ways. God just favours unity. And unity requires work, investment, commitment, sacrifice, and focus. You cannot be united everywhere. You've got to be focused. That's why we need to filter and choose our inner circles carefully. You know, the beauty of unity is the gaps we can fill together. That we cannot fill apart. In business terms, we say the whole is worth more than the sum of parts. The whole is worth more than the sum of parts. 
this worship team was great just now. They served two, two services. And, but you can tell, right? Can you tell? I'm, I'm not so musically inclined, but I can tell. We are missing a basis. Right? And, and the song, I tell you, the song uh, is there and it's a great job. But I tell you with a basis, oh, it will fly. I'm telling you. When we get together, these poor guys can't play everything. Right? But some of you out there can play the bass. It's an example, but it's, it's worth thinking about because I notice it's getting a bit thin nowadays. Uh, that really, we need, we need to think about uniting because we can cover each other's gaps. It has to be. God gave you something that I don't have. God gave me something that you don't have. So we've got to come together and so that we both have. You get it? And, and really... Um, for this, for this congregation especially, don't just look for lateral relationships. It's very easy for you to, to when you're army boy, to just muck around with other army boys. Right? But look up. Look for mentors. Look for older people and look down. Look for younger people to help. Because you go and read Titus 2, it is, church is all about the older men being taught to be temperate and then influencing the younger men. The older women being self-controlled and then teaching the younger women. That's church. It cannot be Titus preaching all the way. we got to be influencing laterally, down, up. It has to be. Be intentional about this. Look to form deep relationships. You want to go far in life? You want to go far in life? Decide. That's what I learned in life. You want to go far in life? Decide. Place a stake. Commit. Move. Don't every day think, place here, then cannot place there. Don't place there. By the time, your 70 is over. Just place a stake. Put your hand to the plow. God is good. He'll take care of you. If he asks you to move, he'll ask you to move. But place a stake. you got to choose. Have to be. So be intentional about this. Look to place a stake here. Form a deep relationship. If not here, another church, place a stake. And play your part. Right? Be united. Deep relationships, in my experience, has come more often than not from working together. Go beyond Sunday lunch and other meals. I honestly feel we eat way too much. We eat too much. And uh, it shows. Um, <laughs> I also, uh, we, we, we eat too much. Find a group of like-minded people and say, let's do this. Let's go fill the gap. Let's go fill the gap we have in Cool Club where Linda's short of teachers. This is not an example. This is real. Let's do this. Let's go fill the gap we have in Loud Jan where Joanne could do with more resources. Let's go fill the gap. Or be a basis. Or go and learn to be a basis. Really? I'm, 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 I'm not joking. It, it's real. Go and fill a gap. Go and fill a gap in young adults where Chi Ming is crying out for influences. Uh, among the young adults, either as CGL, mentors, to do this. Let's go fill the gap. Let's come together so that we all have. Don't be have-nots. God put us together so that we can all have. Go fill the gap for this poor CGL who has been serving for 17 years without a break. That such a person exists in PPH. 17 years. I think he deserves a break. Nobody wants to fill the gap. So the musicians, if you can come up. Okay, if you can play the bass, you can come up also. No, yeah, no, 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 don't spoil the song. But let me tell you this. As we sweat together, as we pray together, as we get desperate together, as we run around like headless chickens together, and it happens, as we resolve conflict together, that's how unity develops. And then the world will truly see that Jesus is sent by God and that God is amongst us, loving us. But you have to start, like I say, place a stake. You have to start. Start now. Invest in your small group. Don't eat your... What is it? One leg cannot be on two boats. No way. Right? Invest in cultivating the young. Invest in being mentored. You've heard all this before. 
I'm quite sure you've heard all this before. But because you have limited time, you need to choose wisely. Don't be lazy. Don't choose nothing. Choose something. Place a stake. If it's wrong, life doesn't end. Move on. Right? But choose. Choose wisely. This is not a relationship management seminar. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to teach you to be better friends or better... The end game is not that. You go and look at the life of Daniel. You go and look at the life of David. You go and look at the life of Jesus. You notice God drives their behavior. God even drives their diet, their work, their place of stay. So this is not a relationship workshop per se. Like we want you to be very good at uh, being friends and all that sort of thing. It is like Edwin preached at the first one. It is all about. You remember that one plate? What can I do with my relationships to help me advance God's kingdom? That's, that's what it's all about. Because some of us are so cluttered with our relationships that we cannot advance in God's kingdom. The relationship plate outside of God is a huge plate. You, you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't fix it. It, it killed a 16-year-old girl, that plate, right? So we, we really need to know that and, and Psalm 84 says this, better one day in your courts than a, a thousand elsewhere. So which means God, if you're not there, not interested, right? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So you, you see the drift? The drift is about, I want to be with God and I want to, I want to forgive, I want to fear not, I want to filter because I want these relationships to hone me, to fine-tune me, to further me in that God search. Understand? Okay? So why don't we rise as Minwei leads us um, in, in, in that song. And I want to open up the altar. Forgive, fear not, and filter. And, and if you want to respond uh, with the baggages or with the fears or with the insecurities or with the filtering that Lord, I really need wisdom on I, I, I really want to find some strong, good relationships. You come forward and then the leaders will pray for you as we sing that song, okay? But it's all about God, okay? It's not about being a wonderful friend. It's about God. I need you more. So the altar is open. Say 
Spirit to search, to search if there is any baggage that we need to remove. It can be a grudge, it can be an offense, it can be an unhealthy relationship, it can be an insecurity that um, if I don't hang on, I'm going to lose it. That's not true. God is your shelter, your shield, your provider. So just, 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 just extend that trust to God right now as you pray. God, I don't want to live for people anymore. I want to live for you. Tell him that. God, I don't want to live for people anymore. I don't want to live for the approval of people anymore. I want to live for you. And if you want someone to pray for you, you can come forward. And let's just continue in that spirit of just engaging with God and asking Him to spring clean us.
just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I want to pray that, Lord, your word, Lord, not, not man's word, your word will take root, will germinate, will grow. We pray that, Lord, you will, you will help us as we journey to rid ourselves, Lord, of unforgiveness, of offense, as we aim to look at our circumstance with eyes of faith rather than eyes of fear. Because, Lord, you are our shalom. In you, we are complete. We are secure. As we filter through, Lord, as we think through in our small groups, this coming week, as we evaluate the relationships, grant us wisdom, Lord. Grant us your light to see which are the ones that can nourish, that can grow, that we can unite around, Lord. And above all, Lord, we pray for the unity of this church. We pray that, Lord, what you prayed for believers in John 17 will be true for this church. That, Lord, there will be a unity in this church that displays to the world we are your disciples and that Lord you are sent by God and that God is amongst us Father we pray that unity in us Lord give us eyes of faith Lord to see the purpose of all this Lord it's all about you we pray for you to help us order our relationships subordinate to you ready to follow you Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen.